Welcome to the Experiential Education Podcast. This week, I'm talking with Paul Tame, Senior Lecturer at Western State University, Colorado, and co-founder of Zen for Business, a B Corp training company which runs great team building and leadership programs for businesses. Paul lives in Gunnison, Colorado, which is in fact the coldest town in North America. Having worked in outdoor education and adventure leadership for over 25 years, Paul has served as a risk management consultant for various outdoor schools, worked in numerous countries as both a field instructor, guide, program administrator and base camp director, and he's been working with higher education programs in the US for the last 15 years. Paul's talent at shifting his style and understanding culture has seen him traveling the world to perform risk management audits and make recommendations on leadership, operational management, and continuous improvement for risk systems in a range of different organizations. This episode is brought to you by Excursion Risk Management Training, which Paul and I both run, and it was fun to catch up with him in Gunnison earlier in the year and chat about risk management. So thanks for talking with us today, Paul. You've been working in the outdoor and experiential education industry for many years. Can you give us an overview of how you got into the industry and where it's taken you? Yeah, I was always interested in the outdoors. And of course, when I first started, I'm rather ancient now, um, when I first started, there was really no, there was no official type of training for outdoor leaders. And, um, I'd been in the military for a little bit and then I was a high school teacher and I found a job in the Sydney Morning Herald uh, for outward bound instructors. And I thought, wacko, that'll be me. I'm, I'm gonna go and get out of the classroom and go work in the field. And there was really no qualifications. It literally, I think, it was a bit like that Shackleton thing, you know, young men wanted for adventure. And that <laughs> was really how it read. It was like, Young men want or young people wanted for instructing in the outdoors, common sense, a sense of adventure and a sense of fair play or something. And it was very Shackleton-ish. And that really appealed to me. And that was yeah. Gary Richards, the director of Outward Bound at the time, Outbound Australia. And um, that totally appealed to me. And so I applied and I went down for a staff selection, 10 days of staff selection, which is a bit like boot camp. It was, it was the first time they'd ever recruited publicly. Outbound Australia had always been able to bring people in from their standard courses, their 26-day courses, and this is the first time they ever put an ad in the paper and recruited from outside of Outbound. And so that's how I, I got a job. So in 1993, I went down to Outbound, uh, down in Thawa, went through their staff selection, their 10-day staff selection process, and was offered a job after that. Excellent. And yep. so from Outward Bound, you, you did overseas programs? Yeah, so I did five well? years with Outward Bound Australia. Um, and I was on a contract. They put some stuff onto contracts and I was on a five-year contract. And when that contract was finished, um, I was offered a few other jobs running base camps down in Victoria or whatever it was. But a risk management contract came up with Outward Bound International. And that was with a guy called Ian Wade who was the director of safety at Outward Bound International, based out of the US. And I got to go on my first trip to my first Outward Bound audit, uh, safety audit, to Indonesia. And then from Indonesia to Singapore and kept going from there. 
And so what training did you do? Was that also on the job sort of training for It was, you know, and having run base camps for Outward Bound Australia, we always had this innate risk management policy and Outward Bound Australia had SOPs and written directives and course guides. They were actually, now that I think about it, so far ahead of many other organisations I've seen where they had a lot of staff resources for risk management and a lot of training for risk management and they had a lot of SOPs that we could take in our backpack and carry with us in like little laminated books. And so they were pretty, pretty ahead of the game as far as some other companies are concerned. So I had that sort of innate on the ground risk management training and then I went to Indonesia and then I had a training with Ian Wade um, for three days before we even engaged with Outward Bound Indonesia. And that was looking at documentation and SOPs and how they would be created. And they'd also had a few little near misses. And so we were looking at those as well. You told me a story about getting into an Indonesia at, uh, uh, at that point in time. Right. It was during the coup where Sahara was being overthrown. And so I arrived during the coup. Um, and so it was rather fascinating and adventurous to get actually out of Jakarta, which was being overrun by the militia and the police and the army. They're all fighting each other and um, actually get out to Bandung, where the Outward Bound School was based out of. It was uh, some tricky uh, some tricky hiding in the back of trucks to get through roadblocks. Absolutely. Nothing like a baptism of fire no, getting no. on the ground. And that was my first ever overseas trip. Yeah. Uh, ever, as, <laughs> as a civilian. It was my first ever overseas trip. So I was like, oh, this is what it's like every time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it was, it was, it was interesting to then leave Jakarta where all this conflict was going on and go to Bandung and it was like nothing else had happened out there. Business yeah. is normal. Yeah. Once we were outside of that main sphere of the city, it was all good. Yeah. So what's been one of the most interesting programs you've worked on and why was that so? I think that year working for Outbound International was such a learning process for me. And so I went from Outbound Indonesia to Outbound Singapore to Outward Bound India, and that school went bankrupt while I was there. And then I went to um, Outward Bound Canada and then Outward Bound Thompson Island and then um, started working for Knowles and Outward Bound in the US. And so that year set me up. I really feel that that year set me up for my continued professional development and allowed me to get where I am now because of those experiences digging deep into risk management and not just looking at you know, documentation, but how do you get staff to buy in and how do you get staff to actually do what they're supposed to be doing in the field when we can't supervise them? Yeah. 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 We, we haven't talked a lot about risk management on the podcast before, but um, in terms of your experience, are there any common or recurring themes in in-field practice or in organisational practice where you see... The, the risk increasing if, if it's an unaddressed risk. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think having now, now working in, in teamwork and consulting as well as risk management um, and working around the world in that stuff, it's a common theme, not just in the outdoor industry, but in most other industries that we see in my other work is lack of engagement with employees. So employees not buying into the philosophy, employees not buying into the company, overarching sort of direction where they're going, uh, staff not reading things, staff not being engaged, staff being burned out, you know. So, and also conflict management. 
I see lack of communication and conflict management as another, it's a, it's a real risk in the outdoors industry where staff just don't feel they either need to engage with risk management or they're not bought into it because upper administration has not, not done a good job selling why they should engage with those risk management policies. Yeah, and I, I think from my experience in schools, I've seen a lot of people switch off entirely when you, totally. as soon as you say risk management. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> yeah, either switch off or need to go do three, three espressos to stay awake. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I think, you know, that's one, of the, that's one of the issues we have, right, is that there's a lot of, you know, people out there who are running risk management training and it is deadly boring and is deadly awful and they don't make it interesting and they don't make it engaging and they don't make it experiential. And that's why I'm really thankful for my education without without Australia, with that whole experiential learning cycle and making every single thing we did, whether it be staff training or with our students in the field, an experiential process. Yeah. Hands-on, engaging and contextual. Oh, absolutely. And so the way people learn most effectively is, is actually getting in and doing it and yep. doing exercises, doing practical problem-solving challenges yep. together. Problem-based learning. Yeah. Yeah. And if we can make it interesting and exciting, and that's obviously, you know, I failed before where I stood up in front of a group of outbound instructors and within an hour realized I've totally lost them. And having to go away at morning tea and rewrite everything in 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like, oh, this isn't working. And so, you know, through, through failing, and, you know, I'll admit I've, I've run some awful risk management trainings, but through experience and through failing and getting good feedback. And that's one thing I love about Outbound and the outdoor industry is we're good at giving each other constructive feedback. Yeah, and it's, it's an industry of problem solvers. Yes, and, uh, yeah, it yeah, is. People and, who will try something. And people, I think, are very, you know, people are good communicators in the outdoor industry. And we've learned that we have to be, right? To keep our people safe in the field and to keep our staff engaged, we have to be good with communication skills. And so I've had some really harsh feedback over the years. It's like, Paul, that sucked. And I was like, Great, why? <laughs> and, you know, literally going back to bed or going back to my hotel room the next night and going, great, i got to rewrite everything again and, yeah. re and redesign it again because that obviously sucked. And not just from one person, but from other people. Yeah. And so, great, you know, I didn't hit the mark. Yeah. I thought I had it dialed. I obviously didn't. Time to rebuild again. Got to learn through failure, mate. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. We all do. And then we... Are, we actually learn best from our failures totally. because when everything's going fine it's like oh, i don't have to change anything right. i don't have to do anything different because it's awesome and then it's not and, it's so, not. and so you've got to do something different well yeah. also you know it's hard on the ego yeah. especially when oh, you think you know you're bringing all this experience and all this you know this big background and you fail miserably you crash and burn and you go ah i need to redo something again because it's hard on you you think yeah. you're bringing a good product and when you don't it's, it's really good feedback for us. Yeah. And I think you're right. We get complacent sometimes. And that's, you know, that's the opposite to engagement is complacency. Yeah. 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 So a lot of unexpected things happen out on program. We find ourselves having to problem solve on the run quite, quite often. All so the time. <laughs> what's, what's been one of the weirdest things that's happened on one of your programs? So this wasn't a program that I was running, but I was responsible for it. Um, and I've worked for Outward and Knowles, and I now work at Western Colorado University. So yeah, I've run, some, I've, I've run a lot of international programs. And at one stage I was brought in at Western to run high altitude type programs. 
and we were running a Denali in Alaska and I was actually on a different program but I was helping and overseeing this particular one that was taking 12 students over to Denali and putting them on the mountain trying a summit attempt and we'd put in a staff member who whose specialty really wasn't mountaineering but he'd had some personal experience and to pair his lack of experience we put an IFMGA guide International Federation Mountain Guide on who'd been on Denali before and had a huge resume and we thought great you know this other staff member will represent the company that I'm working for and the IFMGA guy will look after safety and get all the technical stuff yeah. up there and this other person will look after our clients and represent our clients so it was a great it was a good mixture and I spent months working with them training weekends you know sitting down with them every couple of weeks and looking at what they were supposed to be doing in their scheduling and their programming and their curriculum and we had it pretty dialed. One thing though I didn't take into account and once again I've been doing this for a long time and I still fail is I didn't really talk about conflict management enough. Yeah. And to cut a long story short, from day one at Talkeetna International Airport, that's where they land on the glacier yeah. on you know skid planes and they unload and they have to start walking to base camp there was conflict between the two instructors and I thought that my IFMGA guide was going to be good enough knowledgeable enough and enough background to deal with that and in the end he didn't yeah and he was in a weird place because while he was responsible for the day-to-day -day operations he was handing over to our staff representative who was in charge of the students and the clients and he was in a weird spot and it got worse and worse and worse as it grew as the conflict grew between these two staff members on the mountain it got harder and harder to rectify they kept digging themselves deeper and deeper pits which is harder then to climb out of and so if they had dealt with some of this conflict and some of these issues earlier we would have seen a different result on the mountain but in the end the two groups split on the mountain which and is something you just don't no, do. No, not, not in a technical, highly technical, high-risk environment yeah. such as Denali. And they were getting some big storms and there's a lot of technical avalanche paths there that you need to mitigate. And just being high, right, just being at altitude is yeah. difficult in itself with, you know, hape and acute mountain sickness, let alone all those other things. And so the two parties split. We had the IFMGA guide, guide with his party and then we had the representative from my company with his party. And the two teams stopped talking to each other, stopped planning and sharing resources, and even stopped sharing summit pushes. And eventually, the person who was representing my company started a summit bid without even looking at the weather. So he wasn't, he, was, he had some personal experience on the mountains, he didn't have institutional experience. And there's a big difference. Oh, absolutely. And what we're able to do as individuals totally. and, and our own skill set, we're not necessarily skilled in group uh, facilitation in that same activity totally. to, to the level that it needs to be. Right. And so, you know, what you do at a personal level is entirely up to you. Yeah. The risks you take, if you die on the mountain and you're doing a personal trip, that was a choice you made. Yeah. No lawsuits involved. It was just a bad choice. Yeah. But institutionally if we make bad choices as guides and instructors and clients die that's a whole nother level of our responsibility 
and lawsuits. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and we and so and rightfully so. Yeah. You know, clients have put their trust in us because we're professional instructors and guides. Yeah. And so there's a huge and yeah, that's a whole nother range. That's a whole nother topic for a podcast, right? <laughs> absolutely. It's institutional versus uh, personal risk yeah. management. And so, unfortunately, this person who was representing my company out there didn't have that institutional risk management and he didn't have that engagement with it and he didn't understand it. And so he launched a summit, a summit bid with his team of clients and they walked straight into the mouth of, I think it was the worst storm in 12 years. Yeah. He ended up abandoning his clients uh, and coming down because he was so cold. He actually left some clients at 15,000 feet in a tent. I think there was four of them in a two person tent and they had no satellite communication devices, no radios, and really no idea what they were doing up there. That, that's insane. So yep. he just left the group. He just left them on the yep. mountain yep. and he was responsible for them. Yeah, and well, once again, he didn't understand his role institutionally. Yeah. And he said, you know, he got cold, he got frightened by the storm, and he said, I'm going down now. And he was a fit, strong person, and his group just weren't strong enough and they couldn't keep up with him. Yeah. Uh, eventually, there was a, uh, an assistant who was in his team who decided to put up a tent and try and weather the storm out, which was actually a really good move in hindsight. Yeah. Um, those other clients probably wouldn't have survived getting off the mountain in that storm. They just didn't have the skills. Yeah. And so he abandoned, basically, his clients on the mountain. And while this was going on, the IFMGA guide who we'd hired uh, had found out the summit bit was going on and had gone up to help pull the team off yeah. by himself. He'd left his clients behind back in base camp where they were safe. And he found this lone our company representative coming off the mountain by himself. At that stage, the storm was so severe, they both had to leave. And this IFMGA guide made actually quite heroic attempts to get back to the clients that had been left on the mountain. And he, at some stage, uh, nearly lost his life doing that. So it's quite, quite dramatic up there. Yeah. Uh, he kept on being pushed back off the mountain. He, I think he made four rescue attempts to get to that group, couldn't get to them, kept on being pushed by this massive storm. And for four or five days, we didn't know if the clients were actually alive on the mountain. Yeah. Far out. Yeah. That would have been insanely stressful and just... Yeah, and of course, yeah. I was overseas on another program getting all this secondhand via yeah. sat phone. And yeah, it was dramatic and stressful and... It was a bit of a wake-up call for our program as well. Yeah. Because, you know, we tend to take it for granted that we know this stuff. Yeah. And we also, you know, uh, get complacent that we know this stuff and we do a good job and that's why people pay us good money. And suddenly we realise not everyone has common sense. No, and, and that's quite that's quite a big challenge. And, oh. and I've experienced that on some of my programs as well where on paper... You have the dream team. You totally. have yep. the team yep. that will be awesome. You can successful. Set, forget. Yep. <laughs> they will have a wonderful time. The clients will get a lot of uh, educational benefit out yep. of it, and then it goes to crap. Yep. And and so yeah, and so it's certainly an experience that I've had on some of my programs as well. And you you look at that and go, okay, well, conflict management, totally. team building, yep. communications totally. are so vital because. Without it, you end up with, with this sort of situation. Yeah, so, with, with dire situations. Yeah. And it's really funny because, you know, I have all these 19-year-old freshmen that I work with who want to be, you know, glamorous international mountain guides. And they're all going off to get their, you know, AMGA certs or their IFMGA certs or yeah. their top rope certs or their AV2. 
And we keep on telling them, like, those things are great, you need to have them, but just as much focus on your intrapersonal, interpersonal relationship skills. Yeah, yeah. Because really, if you can't connect with your group and you don't have a relationship with your group and they can't trust you and they don't know where you're coming from and you can't communicate clearly with them, then you've lost it already. You may as well not even leave the parking lot. Yeah. You will leave the airport. So, you know, and it's really it's really interesting trying to convince these young, you know, gung-ho blokes to go and work on their relationship skills and work on those interpersonal, interpersonal skills because they just don't see the need for it. Because they haven't worked yet. They haven't, yeah. you know, had to deal with that yet. So they don't know the context to it. What happened in the end? So you've, you've left us on a cliffhanger, <laughs> a, literally on a cliffhanger. So what happened? So you eventually, kids in the, field uh, and, eventually yeah. our, um, the international guide put a rescue team together with some other clients who are very you know, stronger climbers and they went up and pulled out the other clients that had been left behind in the tent. They were fine. Our assistant instructor had done an amazing job keeping them fed and warm and safe and I, I can't t- he's actually gone on to work for Knowles and I bet you he's a great instructor he did an amazing job with no clear communication no sat phones no radios no contact with anyone and he kept those clients basically alive for four days up on the mountain and we eventually pulled them all off the mountain uh, we got them back down to base camp we evac'd off the mountain because it was just such a disaster yeah even they still had some time left to actually launch another summit bid but our IFMGA guy was just, you know what, he was done. He just knew when to call it a day. Yeah. And more to his credit, he, because, you know, he was there to run a summit program. Yeah. And he just called it. Yeah. And they bailed, they pulled everything up, they pulled up stakes and headed back to the airstrip and got pulled out. Yeah. Back to Talkeetna. Yeah. That can be quite a, a, a hard thing to oh. do, to pull the pin, because there's all those expectations, there's all totally. that institutional well, they're paid money. pressure. Yeah. They paid yeah. a lot of money to be there. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of our clients were incredibly disappointed, and there was talk of lawsuits and misrepresentation, and all sorts of things went on after that trip. We spent weeks you know, problem solving after that trip and putting out fires. Yeah, I yeah. can imagine. And yeah. really, what it came down to is, Lack of communication and lack of dealing with conflict. Yeah. In the field. So, yeah, some really easy things to deal with. Yeah. If you're aware of how to deal with them. So, what about the guy who walked off? What? what? <laughs> <laughs> um, he was fired, as you can imagine. Sorry, he was asked to leave. Sorry. <laughs> he was asked to leave. Um, his, his time with our institution was very short after that because he had basically abandoned clients. And obviously, professionally, obviously, we don't do that but also just philosophically, we don't do that as well. And he could have gone back to base camp and you know, supported that rescue team, but he, he actually left the mountain by himself, with, once again abandoned his clients and left them to the IFMGA guide and flew out by himself and headed home. Wow. Yeah, yeah it was uh, that, a disaster. That, that blows me away. That yeah. just... Yeah it, was, yeah, it was it was hard for us because, and it was hard for me because once again, I thought that he had, having working for the company that I was working for, I thought he had enough of those skills. And I just took it for granted. Yeah. Wait, you know, that's, one, that's another theme, right? We take things for granted. You know, he was an older um, staff member. He'd been working for us for a while. I thought he understood these basic concepts. And once again, he didn't. So a lot of it comes down to me. I, I took and I still take a lot of personal responsibility for how that trip unfolded because I didn't ask the right questions at the time. Yeah, you know, and I still carry that. You know, I still accept responsibility for how that trip went because 
as the senior guide, even though I wasn't on the mountain, I should have done more digging and maybe I should have put them into some more stressful environments to see how those two work together before sending them off to go summit Denali. And yet again, this informs our future risk management processes. Totally. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's a and lot of learning. <laughs> a lot of learning involved. A lot of in learning. That. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and, and that was how many years ago? 12 years ago, I think. And we still use that scenario and that case study in class every single year. Yeah. And, we, and because it's such great learning. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and even though I was a professional risk auditor running around the world for Outbound International, even though I'd worked for many Outbound schools, even though I'd worked for Knowles, I still stuffed up. Yeah. And so, you know, it, come, it keeps coming back down to that, that factor that you can never take things for granted. And you need to double check and triple check. And test that practice in the totally. field as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and engage with that practice. Yeah. You just can't assume that people know what they're doing. No, exactly. I had an experience where a weather warning was issued for a program that we were running. And I thought it was fairly straightforward. There was a, a severe weather warning for um, damaging winds right. that were recorded up to 140 kilometres oh, an hour. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, which is pretty severe winds. And so I'll take tents away. <laughs> take tents off. And I'm, I'm guessing on the conversion is about 85 miles yeah, an that's hour. It. And, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, it's and time so, to go fly a kite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, so my automatic response to that was, okay, well, we're not going to do this activity today. Yet I had three staff swearing black and blue it was okay to take clients and put them in that situation, yeah. travel in vehicles to a different location, it was about 40 minutes drive away, and put them in that situation. And at that point I was thinking, oh my goodness, this is like, what is, what is yeah. not happening with the communication? We've got a disconnect going we, on. We have yeah. a huge disconnect. And yeah. there was significant fallout from, from that as well. So it is that... It grounds us back to totally. how are we training, how are we reviewing our staff, how are we employing staff, how are we testing their skill sets Absolutely. before we, we take them and put them into a real situation with clients. And that's really hard and it's really time consuming. Um, you know, when you look at someone's resume and go, oh my God, you know, they've got all this behind them and surely they must know these fundamentals. But we also come down to that objective and subjective risk management, right? What you think is safe, may not be what the administration thinks is safe and vice versa. And just because we're told to you know, embark on a 10-day program doesn't really mean that someone's done the background on that. Yeah. And maybe our staff are deficient. Or maybe they've just got a very different level of acceptable risk than what we have. Yeah. And that's the only way to find out what their level of risk is and what they're willing to accept and what your institution or your school or your company is willing to accept is actually go out there in the field and do it. You can talk about it, but really when it comes down to brass tacks, you've got to go out there and do it. And Absolutely. just see how people perform in the field. But that's hard. As a senior instructor, you may have five, 10, 15 groups in the field. It's really hard to see every single instructor making decisions in the field. And so sometimes you just have to leave it with them and then work around those incident reports that come in and go, Oh, <laughs> yeah. that was a close call. Yeah. Maybe we need to talk to that instructor about their level of risk or their acceptance of risk because obviously they were way out on, on our parameters. There's a lot of schools and organisations that will look into a, an incident where there's an injury or yep. there's, a, there's a serious injury, there's a fatality, and, and rightly so, that they Absolutely. look into those and, and get learnings from those. 
But what about near misses? Because what I see is so many organisations don't look at near misses. It's like, oh, thank God that didn't yeah, happen. And true. Let's not tell anybody about it. <laughs> it is true. And I think that's where you have to have a really engaged field staff and really experienced instructors and administrators who can go, who can understand the severity that a near miss is not a miss. It's just like pure luck or someone did something right at the very last minute that saved a tragedy. And I, in a way, and maybe this is something we can come up with, we need to rename it. Yeah. As not a near miss. Yeah. Because I think it d diminishes how severe that accident or injury could have been if luck hadn't have gone our way or an instructor hadn't have walked in at the right time at the right place. And so maybe we should call it something else rather than a near miss. Because, oh, absolutely, because yeah. I, I, I really do think that that term diminishes the learning and the productive learning and the experiential learning we can get out of that and say, and you know, they're so good to dig into because we can see usually a train of events that have led to that near miss. Absolutely. And anyone in that 15 steps that led to that near miss, we could have averted that near miss, but we didn't. And so that's where the learning is, is digging back into those historical you know, accidents, injuries, near misses, and really digging into them to see what chain of events led to that accident, injury, whatever it was. But yeah, I, I think we get complacent with them, especially big programs. Um, you know, when you've got 15 groups in the field and you could spend all day at the end of the program just, just working on near misses alone. And I think we have to, yeah. Because again, that informs our understanding of risk and it informs our practices as well. well it informs our staff and we, it's a great contextual training tool for our staff like how did you get there why did you get there like why did you let things get that bad that suddenly now we're calling this a near miss and you had all these stages you could have stopped that those moving parts and stopped that but you didn't and that's okay sometimes that's training sometimes that's just lack of awareness sometimes that's lack of my as a base camp director or whatever role it is I'm playing maybe I just didn't do a very good job and sometimes it comes down to the administrator that we just didn't communicate it properly or yeah. severe uh, you know with enough detail or whatever it was and so yeah, there's always it's not just the instructor's fault no and, and I think that's a really key part to when you do look and debrief any incident is that it's not the assignment of blame, right. it's the understanding Perfect. of what led to this situation. Why did it occur and it's not necessarily, because once you start pointing fingers, ah. people close up and, totally. and become defensive and you never learn anything from, from that sort of experience. Well, they'll also hide them. Yeah. And you know, oftentimes, and you know, I've run some big programs around the world, you know, you've got one instructor out there with a teacher and the teacher doesn't understand that that was a near miss, the instructor does, but if you start pointing blame in a base camp, they're just not even gonna tell you. And they're just gonna keep it soft and secret and hidden away, and you'll never even find out that that stuff is happening. So you need to have that, a culture that staff feel comfortable coming and telling you that they're stuffed up. And you need to have the same, it's a give and take. And you need to sit down at the end of a huge program with all your 15, 20 instructors, whatever it is, and say, I stuffed up, you know, we didn't get these things to you on time. We couldn't get vehicles to you. We, food was late. The equipment wasn't as good as it could have been. Uh, we could have given you better support during that incident, whatever it was. And I think if we role model that as base camp directors, senior instructors, program managers, then our staff will reciprocate and be just as honest and open. Yeah, and yeah. one of the marks of a good leader is 
being able to say, I stuffed up. Totally. When, when you did stuff up. So, and being yeah. humble and yeah. saying, look, I don't have all the answers all the time. Yeah. And oftentimes I don't. And I think, and, that, and that's hard. It's hard on your ego. You know, as someone who's been in the industry for 32 years now, you know, it's hard to yeah. admit that you got something that really was pretty basic and you got it wrong. Yeah. Like asking those two instructors on Denali to really maybe go do some role playing and, or do some scenario based activities and see how they responded to those. And yet I have been doing this job for a long time and still stuffed up on that one. <laughs> <laughs> on the flip side, yep. what's been one of the greatest moments where the risk management systems you had in place worked to ensure you had a great outcome despite serious and un unpredictable incident that occurred? I always love hearing stories when the instructor's coming from the field and you hear some, you know, some, especially when you're working international programs at high altitude in remote locations in a third world country, and you hear these stories that come back and it's like, oh my God, you did a fabulous job dealing with that. I was working an international program at high altitude for a big mountain company. They actually had to bribe their way out of a hostage situation on the border between Pakistan and India. And we gave them cash to always pay off certain bribes because that's just the culture over there. I may not agree with it, but that was our policy. And they actually were, they'd actually crossed into Pakistan unbeknowing because there's no real gate up there. Yeah. It's just the Himalayas. <laughs> and that's the top of the Himalayas is the, is the border. And they'd crossed over unbeknowing to them. Um, and they'd actually crossed into Pakistan without permission. And a Pakistani military patrol pulled them up. And they actually managed to sweet talk the commander, pay his expenses, <laughs> to uh, transport them back into India without any major legal repercussions. And it was purely my instructors having great common sense on the ground, you know, sort of problem solving, working out issues, knowing the relevancy of what they were doing and working themselves out and working, and working with their clients to get a really good outcome on that. And it's one of those funny ones, but it could have also turned into quite a severe outcome as well. If, because they, they could hear the commander talking about taking them hostage and taking them back into this town, like 150 kilometers away and putting them into jail. And you know, of course they're gonna ask for bribes and everything else like yeah. that. And it could have been quite an international incident, but my instructors, because they were good and maybe I had something to do with that. Maybe it's just like, great, you know, I can't train you to solve every single problem you're going to have in the field. You're going to have to make it up as you go. And I think being able to have that confidence just to hand over to staff and say, I don't know what you do out there at the time, <laughs> but I'm going to trust you to make right decisions. Yeah. And when you go to bed at night and sleep well, when you've got 15 groups in the field and you know staff are doing a good job, I think that's when I've done the right job. Absolutely, and that's that confidence in the fact that whatever happens, they will adapt and they will problem solve yep. based upon yep. the circumstances. And I mean, that that's awesome. That is one of the, the most contested <laughs> areas of land in the world. Oh, there used to be shells going across the groups. Yeah. Like the groups would be walking or having base camps and they could actually hear, hear artillery shells yeah. going over their heads, you know, between the Indonesian, uh, sorry, the Indians and the Pakistanis swapping shells. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty hot area up there, but my instructors did a great job. Yeah, I was really proud of them. Well, 
I think we only have scratched the surface <laughs> on this, like literally scratched the surface on some amazing experiences that you've had in outdoor ed and risk management. Thanks for your time oh, today, Paul. It's a pleasure. Paul. Always good to chat to you, mate. It's you too. And, and we will have to do this again I sometime soon. So many more stories, mate. So many more stories. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much, Paul. Pleasure, Look mate. Look to chatting again next time. Have a good trip back to Australia. Thank you. That was Paul Tame. Senior Lecturer in Experiential Education at Western State Uni, Colorado, and co-founder of Zen for Business. For more information on the corporate training and risk management work Paul does, check out the links in the show notes. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate us and leave a nice review. It helps others find the podcast and helps us review and improve the show as well. If you'd like to get in touch or want to let us know about an experiential education program you're running, please drop us a line through the website. Join us next week as we explore more great stories and ideas for experiential education.